Well, good morning, Grace Church. My name is Shagun. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning, we are starting a brand new message series through the second chapter of the book of Colossians. It's going to be a three-week series. And in this series, um, in the Gospels, Jesus Christ tells a story, a parable, that really illustrates where we're going to go with this. Uh, He tells the story about a farmer who goes to go plant some seeds on his farm. And on the farmer's way to the farm, some of the seeds fall along the way. And Jesus goes on to tell that some of those seeds that fell along the path, because they were not deeply rooted in the soil, some of it withered when the sun came out, um, some of it choked out because of thorns, and then some of it uh, was stolen away by birds. And Jesus makes the point that that seed represents the word of God in the life of a believer. And so he also goes on to say that that farmer goes ahead and he does plant some seeds that are deeply rooted in the soil that do end up growing up to become this huge, massive tree that produced fruit a hundredfold. And what Jesus was getting at with that story and, and how it pertains to this series through Colossians is this, that one of the things that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ need to be attentive to in life is not just the false, it's not just the Um, persecution or the hardship and trials that we may face or that may derail our faith. But one of the things that you and I need to be attentive to are those winds of false teachings and false doctrines and false teachers who present such a compelling case, right? They have some well-crafted arguments that are so persuasive and that are sprinkled with just the right amount of truth that make them sound plausible But in reality, they pose a great threat to your faith because they may end up derailing your faith. And so in this series through Colossians chapter 2, that's one of the things we want to talk about. Not so much what are the false teachings as much as we're going to look at what does it look like for you and I to be deeply rooted in Christ. Because if you are deeply rooted in Christ, then you never have reason to fear those inevitable winds of false teachings that will come. Last year, around the same time, we started a series through Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, titled Greater. Well, this morning, we're going to jump right back into chapter 2 and look once again at what it means to be rooted in Christ, for followers of Christ. So I pray that the Holy Spirit would prep your hearts to hear from him the word of God. Let's worship the Lord. So let me give you a little background about the city of Colossae, where this church that Paul writes to um, is is, uh, the events of or the context that's taking place in that city. So the city of Colossae, its residents were mostly Jews and Greeks who held to just a wide plethora of beliefs. Basically, that city uh, had a culture. It was really what, what I would describe as a religiously pluralistic culture. So their beliefs involved different elements of pagan mysticism, Greek mythology, uh, Jewish legalism, and, and, and Christian beliefs. I mean, it was a buffet of religion in the city, okay? Just kind of a little bit of everything was what people were dealing with. And in the church of Colossians, where Paul is writing to, one of the false teachers from that city had somehow crept into the church and was starting to mislead people. And the senior pastor of that church, a young man named Epaphras, whom we met in chapter one, um, is confused by this and he realizes it's causing a problem for the church. And so Epaphras, who, by the way, was mentored by Paul and becomes senior pastor of the Colossians, Epaphras makes a long journey to go track down Paul, who's in prison in Rome, to tell him, hey, man, there's some false doctrines threatening the church. And so Paul writes 
writes the book of Colossians to address not only the false teachings in Colossian church, but the specific false teacher who was spreading those teachings. Now, one of the main teachings that posed a threat to the Colossian church was a teaching which would later become known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is basically the idea that God is good, but matter, everything physical, including humans, matter is evil. Therefore, God could not have become a man. And if you follow this through, as the false teacher did, it essentially amounts to them teaching that Jesus wasn't really God, can't be God, but was simply one among a series of lesser spirits emanating from God. No different than an archangel. And if you follow that through, as the false teachers did, it amounts to them basically teaching that faith in Jesus Christ is not enough to get saved. Even more specifically, the false teaching in this church was teaching people that faith in Jesus needed to be combined with what they described as a secret knowledge, which, by the way, could only be attained through visions, dreams, or visitations by angels, which was only a privilege available to just a select few. And so there's this spiritual elitism going on in this church. And and really what, what proved to be most problematic in the Colossian church is not just the fact that this false teacher was starting to spread his false doctrine. What proved to be most problematic is that some of the the rhetoric of this teacher was was so well crafted and so persuasive, maybe even plausible, because Paul says exactly that. It was so persuasive, it was so well-crafted that some of the Colossian Christians were starting to sway in the strong winds of his false teachings. And so this necessitates Paul to write this letter to the Colossian church. And what Paul says to them in this chapter is relevant to us because it answers the modern-day question of how can you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, remain true and stay faithful to the gospel in the face of so many false teachings today, many of which sound so well-crafted and arguably are even plausible. How are you and I to face them? And listen, we live in a time and age where, where there is new teaching coming up each day. And Paul says not only are they coming up each day, but they sound so good. So how do you stand up in the face of that? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning in Colossians chapter 2, first seven verses. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along in your Bibles. Please do. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. If you want to use a smartphone, that's fine. Track that down. Please just mute your mobile devices. But here's what Paul writes to the Colossians. He says, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea. So Laodicea was one of the churches in the region. There were a network of churches, so he's writing to all of them. I want you to know how much of a struggle I've had for you and for all of you who have not yet seen me face to face, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, so that you may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I say this, this is Paul speaking, he says, I say this in order, and here's where he's addressing those things. He says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Some of your versions may use the word fine-sounding arguments. Some may even say persuasive words. Paul says, I'm saying this to you in order that nobody may take you captive, and no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, and rejoicing to see your good order and firmness in your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as you were taught and abounding in thanksgiving. All right, so let me give you the big idea up front, and then we'll flesh it out practically what it looks like. The big idea we're going to draw out of this message is quite simple, and it's this. The key for staying true in the face of so many false teachings in our day and age, is for you to become increasingly rooted in Christ. Like some folks take your approach, I'm going to study all the, all the religions, all the world religions, I'm going to study all the false teachings so I can really know how to argue. No, you get rooted increasingly in Christ because once you recognize truth, it's easy to discern lies. And here's why this big idea is important when it comes to false teaching. My experience as a pastor and even a Christian is that when it comes to false teachings, what ends up tripping, tripping Christians up in their faith is not the crazy teachings that sound so blatantly contradictory to Scripture. Like if you went to a Bible study and a small group leader started talking about Jesus and a small group leader told you that Jesus is really an Ethiopian who is someday going to come back and live in Nauvoo, Missouri, to start his millennial kingdom, I think you would excuse yourself to go to the restroom and slip out the back door before somebody starts passing out the Kool-Aid. <laughs> right? Because you're just like, I don't, I, I'm, I'll be right back, and you never come back. But just like what Paul is addressing with the Colossians, the false teachings that end up weakening a Christian's faith are those persuasive arguments that are so well-crafted and, and, and are sprinkled with just the right amount of truth so that they sound plausible and, more importantly, they feel just right. Let me give you a few examples. You may have heard some of this. It's very popular in our day and age. Somebody says, listen, man, the world is a better place when we're all accepting. That's a new key word in our time and day. Everyone's accepting. The world's a better place if we all accept each other's Diverse beliefs. And when we all allow what's true to be you to be true for you and what's true for me to be true for me. Like, doesn't that just sound like a warm blanket on a cold day? Your truth, your truth, my truth, your truth, let's all get along. Forget the fact that both truths contradict each other, but that's another message. How about this one? Everyone is on a journey to God. We're all just taking different spiritual paths. And we're all going to end up in the arms of the same loving God. Like, doesn't that sound genuine? I mean, it sounds like it's well-intentioned. In fact, Paul, in verse 4, makes the point that the arguments of the false teacher in Colossians actually sounds plausible. But then in verse 8, he points out the reality. He says they are just empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. 
And Paul doesn't just leave the matter alone there. He goes on to explain the futility of those kinds of arguments in light of who Christ is. And here's what Paul says. He says in verse 2 and 3, he says, listen, my goal here, I want you all to reach all the riches that, and the assurance and understanding and knowledge of God's mystery. And here's God's mystery. Um, Christ. Christ. Like, like, that's it. Because why? Because in Christ are hidden what? All the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Like if there's a mystery to God for humanity, Paul is saying it's finally been revealed in Christ. So that means if the latest spiritual guru, the new trendy guru comes into town and he's on ABC and he says, listen, I've found new spiritual insight for how to attain enlightenment. Paul says it's a lie. Why? Because in Christ is all the wisdom and knowledge of God. And listen, the more, and what he's going to say later on in this book is that the more you dig deeper, right? We were singing it deeper, and the deeper you dig, the, the more rooted you become in Christ, the less, the more sturdy your faith will be in light of the inevitable winds of false teachings, which will come and have come. So what we want to talk about this morning is what does that look like practically? Like how does a follower of Jesus Christ become increasingly rooted in the face of false teachings? There's two things, two things in this verses. The first one is quite simple, and it's this. Paul says the way you stand sturdy, the way your faith remains sturdy in the face of false teaching is by regularly uniting with other Christians in Loving community. He, he says that right at the outset, right? Verse 2. He says that the reason I'm writing this in light of what you're facing is that your hearts may be encouraged. And this, he says, being knit together in love. Another verse that captures this same idea is what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. And I love this. It's a warning and an encouragement. He says, do not, as followers of Christ, do not forsake the gathering of the saints. Do not neglect it with other believers, especially, and encourage one another, especially in light of the times, in light of the return of Christ. And so scripture tells us that before the return of Jesus Christ, things will get bad. So, so listen, uh, the world's going to get worse and worse before it gets much, much better. Like that's the timeline of scripture. Scripture tells us that. And Paul is saying in light of the awfulness of what's coming, you, you got to be rooted in community. You got to be established. You got to be united with the other believers. And in the context of that, you're encouraging one another in light of what's coming. How many of you have ever seen uh, those National Geographic documentaries where a pride of lion attacks a herd of gazelles? How many of you guys have seen those? If you haven't, you need to Google. That's the best two minutes of your life. Um, <laughs> if you have watched it, you may have picked up on the fact that lions, when they attack a herd of buffalo or, or gazelle, they generally don't go after the biggest, baddest dude, right? Like the lion's not going, who's the leader of the pack? Like who looks like it's the toughest? Of my, like they, right? the lions don't do that. They don't go after the leader of the pack or the strongest. Rather, lions look for the weakest link. They look for the lion that's a little emaciated, the one that's limping. But more importantly, the lions look for the one that's a little isolated from the rest of the pack. And then here's something insightful also. Sometimes 
lions will attack a herd all together at once in a manner that forces one of those animals to isolate itself. And that's important because that is how false teachers and Satan attacked Christians. They look for the one that's isolated. They look for the one, or they'll attack the body in such a way that causes one to go, I don't want to be a part of those people anymore. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm just going to watch online videos of preachers, and that's going to be my church, and I don't want to gather with the body. Which, by the way, when you're starting to pull away from the body, I'm not talking about skipping one Sunday or two. I'm talking about just an attitude that I don't want to do church anymore. That is a good sign that the enemy has turned his attention on you. Because Paul says in first, and Peter says in First Peter 5, 8, he says, he says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion. And he's hunting. And I would add to this, he's hunting for those who are isolated so he can devour. Now, I know most of you are visual learners, so I worked really hard on the chart to illustrate this point. All right. So, <laughs> from a video, I worked really hard on YouTube this week. I didn't want to show the video because can't be killing animals in church, you know, animal rights and whatever. So this is the church right here, right? This is the gathering of believers, the gathering Christians. This is false teachers and well-crafted arguments. They're always, they're always hiding. This is you. When you do what Paul says not to do. I say that jokingly, but there's truth to that image. For the enemy of your souls is searching, looking, hunting. And boy, I tell you, there's a reason. It's for this reason that we urge you here, while you'll hear us continually announce small groups to get connected, right? That's why we've put a touch screen in the lobby with a list of all the small groups here at the church. It's why there's a link on our church website that says get connected. We do this because we want you to easily find a group of friends who will watch your corners, spiritually speaking. We want you to get in a community of groups who will watch your corners, spiritually speaking, who will strengthen you and encourage you should your faith start to weaken when you start hearing those false teachings and they're starting to hold sway. That's what a community is designed for. It's designed for your friends to go, hey, man, I, I, I noticed you've, you've been talking crazy lately, man. What's going on? Tell me a little bit about that. It's why in those small group settings, you, you pray for one another. You hold each other accountable. And for some of you, perhaps the next challenge is to for some of you, the, the challenge is really to not only come regularly to the gathering of believers, but for some of you to take a step further and get connected to a small group. So for, for some of you men, you may need to find a group of men that meet regularly where you guys are studying the word of God and you guys have no problem. There's trust and you can call each other out, encourage one another. For some of you in a group of women, some of you guys co-ed groups, some of you guys single, like get in community. God designed the Christian life. Listen, God designed the Christian life to be one in the context of community. You can't do it alone. To become increasingly rooted in Christ, you need to be connected and regularly doing life with other Christians. That's the first way. The second way you become increasingly rooted in Christ is, is really to grow in your understanding of who Jesus Christ is. Remember, the way you stand in the face of false teaching is not by digging, because there's always new ones, right? But it's to dig deeper into Christ, because the more you know him, the easier it is you'll be 
able to recognize false teaching. Paul says, the reason you're to do this is because why? In Christ are hidden everything you're looking for. Knowledge and wisdom to live daily life. It's in Christ. Now, this brings us to the question of, of who Jesus Christ is. It was asked in his, in fact, the question of who is Jesus Christ is a question that has been asked since Jesus himself walked the earth. And it's an important question that every living human that has ever lived will have to answer. Now, you can try to avoid it. You can postpone it. You can pretend you didn't hear it. You, but you will have to answer that question someday. And one of the central doctrines of Scripture, in fact, I would argue the central doctrine of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is God. Now, that may present a problem for some of you because you just heard me say that and you said to yourself, wait a minute. Is Jesus Christ God or is he the son of God? Like, like how can he be God and the son of God? Because we hear that phrase over and over in the scripture. Some of you haven't even dug that deep theologically and you're just like, dude, what? Like, like some of you are like, whoa, whoa, slow down. Wasn't Jesus just a really good person? Wasn't he just a holy person? Or in some cases, wasn't Jesus some reincarnated spiritual master? Whatever that means. So let's talk about that. Because part of the confusion or part of why there is confusion about Jesus Christ being God is because you and I are using modern language to try and interpret Interpret ancient words. Like, first of all, when, when the Bible says, and when Jesus himself says he is the son of God, he's not saying that in the sense of a human father and a human son or in the way humans have children. Like, God the father did not get married and have a child the way humans do. The Bible tells us that Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit through a miraculous means. So when Jesus himself says he is the son of God, understand that what he's saying is that he shares the same divine nature as God the Father, which is why he himself says in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. By the way, it's also this claim that he is God or that he's the son of God, like this is why there was a death sentence on his head for blasphemy because the Jews in his day understood clearly what he meant when he said he was the son of God. In fact, they themselves say that the reason why we're stoning you is not because you're healing on the Sabbath. It's not because of all the miracles you've done, but we're trying to stone you because you're calling God your own father and you're making yourself equal with God in John chapter five, verse 18. Could you put that on the screen, Dennis? So in his day, they understood clearly what the term son of God meant. He was claiming to be the same as God. Also, keep in mind that the very reason why Paul wrote the book of Colossians is because there were false teachers in Colossae who were teaching that Jesus was not God, but he was simply one among a series of lesser spirits that God created, thereby making Jesus the same as another, any ordinary archangel, like Michael or Gabriel. And so in the book of Colossians alone, not to even talk about other places in scripture, Paul is going to argue back against that. He's going to argue for the deity of Christ. For instance, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In other words, he is the exact representation of God the Father. 
In verse 17 of chapter 1, he says, God, Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Then later on in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. A sign of true belief in a Christian is that you affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. Like you may not be able to fully comprehend it or perhaps due to spiritual maturity, you may not be able to, you may not have the capacity to fully understand it or articulate it. That's okay because as you grow in your faith, you'll come to understand it and affirm it and you're a Christian. The fact is, however, a true Christian will not deny or reject the deity of Jesus Christ. Because if you do, you essentially become one of the false teachers that Paul's trying to correct. The deity of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the Christian faith. You can be wrong on some secondary doctrinal issues and still be a follower of Christ. But to deny or reject the deity of Jesus Christ is to reject and deny the most basic of Christian faith. And then by definition, you are not a Christian. Because if you reject the very thing by which something is defined, then you cannot call yourself by that thing. And let me give you this insight. Incidentally, this one point is oftentimes the one point of doctrinal difference that false teachers capitalize on when they're trying to lead Christians astray. The understanding of Jesus Christ's deity, God in flesh, is the one point that separates Christians, Christianity, from Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and a few other religions. And it's the one place that false teachers start going, they're weak there, I can build on this. So listen to me. Our faith in Jesus Christ must be more than just an emotional experience where we go, well, I have Jesus in my heart. doesn't matter what I believe. No, your faith in Christ has to be more sturdy than that. Your faith must rest on the revealed truth of the Bible that Jesus Christ is indeed God revealed in flesh. And that, my friends, is how you become deeply and increasingly Rooted in Christ in the face of the inevitable false teachings that have come and will come and will increase as the times get harder. Paul says they're going to become more persuasive and more well-crafted and more plausible. But the more deeply rooted you are in Christ, the sturdier your faith will be in those winds of false teachings. And you do that in two ways. You gather with the believers regularly in light of who's hunting and searching. You do life with other believers. Secondly, you, you got to grow in your understanding of who Christ is and why he is who he is. And that's why in Paul's uh, verse 6 and 7, Paul rounds that whole section up by saying to the fellowship of Christians who's already, whom he's already told and encouraged to continue in unity, he says to them, therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ, so walk in him. Rooted, built up, 
established in faith just as you were taught, and then abounding in thanksgiving. The reality is this. When your roots are deep in Christ, you have no reason to fear those inevitable winds of false teachings that will come and have come. So as we wrap this up this morning, really two questions for you. In which of these two areas do you need to become more deeply rooted? For some of you, like I suggested earlier, perhaps for you, it's time to finally come out of isolation. Maybe this is your first time back in church after months, years, however long. Maybe you were hurt. You had some bad experiences someplace, and you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to. I'm not talk- Once again, I'm not talking about skipping one or two Sundays because of work. Or- I'm talking about just an attitude that says I'm not doing that again. Let me say it again. Let me say this again. One of the ways that Satan and false teachers attack is to look for those who are continually isolated. And Paul says, do not forsake this gathering. So for some of you, maybe it's time to come out of isolation. For some of you, perhaps you come to church regularly on Sunday, and the challenge for you this morning is the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's time to go a little deeper. It's time to be more intentional about connecting with some other folks in a smaller setting with, within the bigger church. Within the bigger church. Let's be honest. On Sunday mornings, you come here, you listen to me, you listen to some songs, you eat some chips, whatever, and, and you don't really get a lot of time to build into one another other than high fives in the hallway. And so you need to go a little deeper. You need to get in a small group, which, once again, we've provided those resources. And then for some of you, being more deeply rooted is a matter of you studying more incisively the word of God about who Christ is. And once again, I think that best happens in the context of small groups. However, for some of you may need to purchase a study Bible and dig a little deeper, learn who Christ is, that he is indeed the deity who became a man who died for your sins so you and I could be saved. The more deeply rooted you are in Christ, the less reason you have to be afraid of those storms. And that's the only way you'll be able to stay strong and rooted in the face of false teachings. Whatever it is you need to do next, I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would go beyond my words and impress upon your heart clearly what needs to happen next. Amen? Let me pray for us. And as I pray for us, I'm going to pray the words of the Apostle Paul in chapter 1 over you. So I pray that God would fill each and every one of you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives. I pray that as you grow in the knowledge of God's will for your life, that you may live a life that's worthy of the Lord. And in so doing, I pray that you would please God in every way and that your life would bear fruit in every good work. I pray that you would be strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might so that you may have endurance and patience and always be thankful to God the Father who qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And I pray that God would help you find a community of peers who love Jesus Christ, who will do life with you regularly. And I ask, and I ask in Jesus' name that that as you study the word of God, you would grow in your understanding of the deity of Christ so that no matter what storms may come, you may be found solid in Christ, deeply rooted in him. And I ask these things in the name of our risen King and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen, amen. Amen.